several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow all right, time for your weekly grape encounter, but this is not just any grape encounter because this is a grape encounter that I have looked forward to more than I think any other grape encounter with a couple of exceptions. I got to say the excitement that I had before I interviewed Mike Gergich for the first time, the excitement that I had when I finally caught up with my first wine mentor, Dr. Stan Hoffman, those were really exciting moments and so many amazing people that have been in the studio or who have invited me out to their wineries or whatever. But this particular show is going to be really, really personal because on today's show, I'm going to have my mother. No, 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 fooled you. No, I'm not going to have my mother. I'm going to have somebody on that I only learned about just a couple of months ago. And let me just set things up for a second because... This is so fascinating. I alluded to this on a show, I don't know, a month or two ago, but now I get a chance to really do this thing and I couldn't be more elated. It all started because there's a guy named Leroy Guilford who has a terrific show with just exuberance coming out of every pore and he had contacted me and asked me if I would be willing to come on his show to talk about my my experiences in the Finger Lakes, because as you all know, I love to talk about the Finger Lakes. And by the way, we'll be talking about them next week, not this week. And during our conversations, he told me something extraordinary. Now, I might add that my show, Grape Encounters, is also on that station. So we're colleagues is what we are, and we report on basically two different things. But he told me the story of a man who was a really big deal at Disney. In fact, he was the VP of post-production services for basically decades or close to it and then decided that he was going to get into winemaking and give up a career that probably paid, well, you know, what's that pay? A hundred billion a year or something like that, but a really high paying job for one of the worst paying jobs on planet Earth. And so Leroy sent me this interview that he did with this guy, and I thought it was fascinating, except there was one little caveat that shocked me like nothing has ever shocked me before. 
And I want to now introduce to you the subject of that interview by Leroy, and it's Gil Ganyan. And you had a big position at Disney, right? Tell me about it. Yeah, well, I oversaw just anything that was kind of creative and technical for lots of big feature films or even lots of big TV shows and just a lot of people that fell under my umbrella all around. Were you a wine lover? Absolutely. Big time. Yeah. And reds, right? Yes. Basically reds. Yeah. Yeah. But that's only a little teeny part of the story, right? Right. Because here you are, you know, you're living in Calabasas, California at the time, which is kind of at the, let's say, north end of Los Angeles. And you're going into the Burbank Studios where Disney is. And as the crow flies, not a long distance. As the BMW travels, it's a bit longer. How long? Uh, it's about 20 miles. But, you know, when you're in LA and you're driving down that 101 freeway, it's an hour. Yeah. On a good day. On a good day each way. <laughs> and if, if it's slightly misting and your windshield wipers have to move maybe once within that hour, you can probably double it. So you told my colleague, and you told me as well, that you calculated that you had spent during the time that you worked for Disney, how many hours behind the wheel? Well, I worked for Disney for about 11 years, and I worked in Hollywood at another company owned by Kodak for about 10 years before that. So in round numbers, after 20 years of commuting in that LA traffic, it's the equivalent of having a full-time job for six years. You spent six years of your life behind the wheel. Sniffing exhaust, yes. And talking on the cell phone. Yeah, as much as I could, but I actually tried to entertain myself by other ways. And how and, did you do that? You know, I was fortunate enough that early on in your show, I found your episodes and I would download them to my phone and my uh, iPod and I would sit there and it would make that hour so much more enjoyable and productive. And I started listening to your show religiously. I would listen to it over and over on the way to work. So did you wear back. a habit while you listened to my show? You said you listened to it religiously. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you I was in the film business, so I probably could <laughs> okay, never wear right. that. <laughs> all right. So you're listening to Grave Encounters. And I mean, that alone, when I heard that much of the story, that meant so much to me because, you know, so often when you're in the radio business, and I've been doing it for quite a while now, and Grape Encounters alone, seven years, that's a long time. This is show number 315. That's a lot of hours yeah. to sit and listen to me talk. But one thing that a lot of people don't, I think, often realize is that when you're in radio, whether it's live, whether it's pre-recorded, you're just sitting in a box. You don't see people. You know, we don't have live audiences unless we go out and we do a live show. So you don't really get to know as much as you would like to the people who are listening to your show. It's just not an option until you go out and you do a live event and people come up and say, oh, I love your show. I listen to your show. But I'll let you finish the story because this is where it gives me goosebumps. It might be one of the proudest moments of my Grape Encounters career, if not any career. Well, first off, I want to say thank you for having me too. I, I am just thrilled to be here and to finally meet you in person because it really has been long long overdue. So way back when, and that was probably close to five years ago, I was sitting there going back and forth in that LA traffic and I would listen to your show religiously and you did an episode that really resonated with me. It was you and Wes Hagen 
And you guys talked about, yes, you too can be a winemaker. One of Dave Wilson's rants. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, well, you know, I think back in the day, it would be pretty hard to top you and Wes together. Ranting, yes. We still rant to this day. In fact, I actually called him earlier today to say that you were coming into the studio, but who knows where Wes is at right now. We'll have him on eventually. But anyway, so we're going on, and I remember the episode, episode number 44, back in May of 2010, right? Right. Wow. Yeah, I, I remember that episode vividly. I listened to it, and uh, it really, listening to your show was like going to school for me. Because when I started getting into wine, I started thinking about this, and I did a lot of the usual things where I started taking classes at UC Davis to learn more about it. And, you know, you can learn so much from a book and from doing those things. But I personally believe you learn more from people. And yeah. I learned so much from your show and listening to all the different guests. And you always, as part of your regular uh, entourage, you had Keith Sarlos on and Wes Hagen. And yeah. I would always look forward to those. So we've just got a minute left in this particular segment. But what'd you do? Well, I put pen to paper and started calculating all the little things that you guys talked about, the different components that go into a bottle of wine and what those things might cost. And I penciled it out. And I came to that conclusion, as you stated, yes, I can do this. I can I can make the wines. So I, I went and I took the plunge and decided I would follow my passion and see what I could do. But here's an important question because you're working for a major, major studio. So I would presume that as a VP of the studio, and I'm not asking you what you made, but you made a decent living, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you made a decent living. Now, people who are listening right now don't necessarily make that kind of money. But were you frugal in the beginning as you got into this? And is it your opinion that had you been working at a sandwich shop that you could have still got into it some way and made credible wine? I guess the answer is yes. I wanted to make sure that, and again, we're still very small and I wanted to make sure I was learning as I went through the process. So that way I knew if I was going to make a mistake, I would not make a big one. So absolutely, I kept all the costs under control and I set aside a budget that I stuck to and it really worked out and it paid off. But the bottom line is you were a religious listener to the show, but you heard this segment where you heard a guy like Wes Hagen and you also heard people like Keith Sarlos talk about how they gave up other kinds of careers to get into winemaking and never turned back and were making awesome wine and you decided you could do it and you took our advice. I know, as crazy as it sounds. That. Except for <laughs> one piece of advice that you did not take and I'm going to bust you in just a second because I know you played that episode over and over again. I'm going to play back a little piece of it that you did not listen to and shame on you when we return with our very special special guest, Gil Gagnon, who is the former VP of post-production services for Disney and now the president and CEO of Gagnon Cellars. And we'll also talk about the wines because I've had a chance to taste a bit and uh, we'll keep you in suspense. How's that? We will return with more Grape Encounters in just a moment. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. 
The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link online at GrapeEncounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. He's back, and he's not alone. Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson and a little help from his friends. If I could make my dreams into movies, I'd get a picture deal and put them on the big screen in color. If I could make my dreams into movies, you'd know just how I feel every night, every night, every night when I am We're back with Grape Encounters Radio, and I can no longer say that people don't take me seriously. We're sitting here with Gil Gagnon. He is Gil Gagnon of Gagnon Cellars. Formerly, holy smoke, the VP of post-production for Disney. Like, this is a really big deal. I mean, this is a guy who probably had his own helicopter and stuff like that, and a staff of about... How big was your staff, Gil? Uh, two to 300, depending on how heavy we were <laughs> production. Three. I thought you were going to say two to three, you know, and I was going to say, well, that's twice as big as my staff. No, but two to 300 people worked underneath you. Wow. Yeah, it was a big area, lots to do, and we were busy all the time. The kind of movies you were working on? Pirates of the Caribbean, lots of big movies like that, and all the animated films as well. And we handled everything from, you know, picture editorial, sound editorial, and just anything creative and technical. And you worked on, what, hundreds of movies, right? Probably over 500. Over 500 films. And I'd know the names of most of them, wouldn't I? Sure. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Big, you know, some of those are billion-dollar movies. Wow. Unbelievable. And then you decide to get into wine. So you listened to this episode 44, and as I understand it, you played that episode more than once, right? You got a copy oh. of the podcast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would listen to that back and forth, and it was really you, know, you and Wes, and you said, yes, you too can make wine. Yeah, I guess it makes some sense. You know, you're sitting there at work listening to Johnny Depp doing basically an imitation of Keith Richards as a pirate, right? 
and, oh, yeah, and so yeah. you got to hear something different. That's yeah, all. Yeah, you know, you got to. That's all there is, right? Yeah, you need a little <laughs> bit of release. A little right, okay, I understand. We have that little piece. We're going to queue up this piece right now, where we tell you, you know what? If you are tired of your humdrum life, not that you had one, and that was for other people, not you, Gil. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. Then get into winemaking. Let's play that real quick. We talk about the boutique winemakers a lot, and we've featured many, many of them on the show. And I love to talk about the guys who had a career in the big city who fought traffic on the 405 or the 10 or the 5 or the 91, and then finally just said, to heck with this, and they threw up their arms in the air, and they came up to the Central Coast or maybe Mendocino County, or maybe they went up to Washington or Oregon, decided, I'm going to make some wine. Is that the part you were talking about right there? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I used to bring that up a lot. I don't think I bring it up as much. You've reminded me that I've got to encourage people to get into winemaking. But now that I live in wine country, I kind of like, okay, <laughs> it's already starting to get busy up here. Go away. <laughs> but you can make wine in your garage, right? By the way, I want to play one other clip because there was something else that was in that show. You apparently don't take orders all that well because you did listen to us when we said maybe you should be making wine. But there was another thing that we requested that you do that you completely ignored. In fact, you've been making wine for how many years now? Yeah, about five years. <laughs> God. And you just got around to telling me. All right, let's roll this little piece for a second, Gil. <laughs> you owe me on this one. Well, you know what we should do really is yep. we should challenge one of our listeners to write us or call us. Yep. And be willing to start their winemaking operation, and we will chronicle them all the way to their first bottling. It's a great idea, right? It, it is. And you have what to say for yourself? Did we not ask you to call us and let us know that you were going to do this so we could follow your progress? I know, I know. And trust me, I have lived with that guilt for five years. I wonder how many other Ganyan gangsters are out there who don't follow orders. I mean, it's fine. We helped you become, and I'm going to say this, a great winemaker. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, yeah. And then you didn't even let us keep track of you. Well, to be honest, I was so looking forward all those years to come and talk to you, but probably needed to make sure sure I got my sea legs on and had the confidence because I know that you really enjoy wine and I absolutely did not want to disappoint you. Do you know with you in the film business and you know me doing what I do, we missed a huge documentary opportunity. What's that movie that just came out recently? Boyhood? Uh, boyhood. Boyhood, yeah. It could have been like Winehood. <laughs> yes. Something like absolutely. that. You could have helped us make that movie, couldn't you? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. And you could have starred in it. I know. You know, trust me, I thought about it. I thought about documenting it and all of those things. And some of it I did document. But overall, I just wanted to really learn and hone my craft and do you proud. And I hope I did. We're going to talk about the wine because you and I got together last night along with my wife and we got to have the wine. Anyway, we're going to get into that. But tell me the process and who did you tell and who did you decide you wouldn't tell? Did Mickey Mouse or Pluto know anything about this yeah, the little, no, little mermaid? No, no. I decided I would keep that. I think everybody knew I had an interest in wine and that I was passionate about it. But I thought I would kind of keep a low profile. I also had other friends that had gotten into the wine business. And I also decided I would not go and approach them because the bottom line is I didn't want anybody to talk me out of it. Wow. Because there are what? A zillion reasons to not do it? Yeah, but there's one good reason to do it. Which is what? Passion. You 
You want to do it. Yeah. I want to do it. And I'm passionate about it. So I know that anybody that's a regular listener to the show knows this. I have said many times, and I've done multiple shows on this, talking to winemakers who came out of other industries. And it's always the men and women who come out of really intense, high precision, detail oriented professions. You know, it's the brain surgeon. And I'm not kidding. It's the cardiologist. It's the orthodontist. It's the guy that is working in post-production services for Disney. You know, haven't you noticed that? And we have a mutual friend, it turns out. Somebody who is very close to you doesn't know to this day that you got into winemaking and he comes from a very high-precision profession. You know, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you take your own self-inventory and you figure out what are your skills. I'm a guy in the minutiae. We make films one frame at a time and I've done all kinds of things. And so it really is about the attention to detail and you absolutely have to get it right. And by nature, I probably drive a lot of people crazy, but I'm a perfectionist. What if your wine had turned out really cruddy? I never would have let you taste it. You'd never be sitting here today? No. And I also would never put that in front of anybody. I would never try to sell it or uh, pour it for anybody. You know, many things can happen. And winemaking is a very literally fluid situation where you have to bring a lot of elements together all at one time. And sometimes it's the perfect storm and you're doing everything you possibly can to just make the right decisions. And trust me, I don't make all those decisions myself. I make sure if there's something I don't know, I go ask. A movie analogy would be like the director of a movie. Yes, your name's on the movie, but you better make sure you get the best people on your team. All right, coming up next, we're going to continue. We're going to actually wrap up our conversation with Gil Gagnon, who is an inspiration to me because I give people lots of ideas of things that they can do with wine, how to have fun with wine, how to enjoy it more, how to play with it. But when you get down to making wine, you know, it's one thing to do it as a hobby. And there are so many tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of hobbyists out there. But when you make a major career move like you did, that's a bold thing to do. And I will give you my assessment as to whether or not you're going to be successful in the long term or not. Fair enough? Fair enough. All right. When we return... It's all about the wine, man. You know, is it just the satisfaction of making it or is it the satisfaction of being able to swallow it? You're having a grape encounter with David Wilson. What a way to spend the day. If I could make my dreams into movies, you'd know just how I feel. in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street the historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. 
If you'd like to hear more no-nonsense talk about wine and all the fun that goes with it, check out winetalkshow.com. At winetalkshow.com, you'll find a massive library of content for fun-loving, unpretentious people who aren't afraid to step outside the lines and challenge conventional wisdom. We'll take you places you've never been before. That's a promise. Expand your wine horizons in unimaginable ways at winetalkshow.com. Nestled between world-class Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo wine countries, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the humble heart of the Central Coast. With access to endless wine country adventures, including wine and olive oil tasting tours, artisan farm experiences, food, wine, and cultural events, historic Atascadero's cozy and oh-so-friendly atmosphere make it the perfect home base for Central Coast tourists. Discover more about the heart of the Central Coast at visitatascadero.com. Like certain wines, he's syrupy, sweet, and has long legs. Here's David Wilson. Simply irresistible. Simply irresistible. All right, Grape Encounters returns with my very special guest, Gil Gagnon, who is the president, CEO, founder, brainchild winemaker behind Ganyan Cellars. We're going to talk in just a second about where the grapes come from because they come from all over. But more than that, I want to talk about dinner last night. Gil, pretty good Italian food last night, eh? Absolutely fabulous. I'm going to tell you what. I brought because a person of your stature and also just a loyal listener, I'm not going to bring a bad bottle of wine, right? I would hope not. We never got to my wine. (laughs) We opened up your wine And I was floored. It was like, what? What? And the really weird part is that I was nervous for you. You weren't the only one. And I was nervous for me because I'm going, I even said to my wife, Annie, I said on the way, what if I don't like it? What am I going to do? I'm not good at faking it. You know, I don't want to fake out listeners because then if I told them, wow, this is really good, they're all rushing to buy, you know, your wine, and then they're going to call me up and go, what are you talking about? It was terrible, but it wasn't. It was elegant, beautiful, everything about it, even down to the packaging, spectacular. You would not settle for anything that wasn't really outstanding. No, I appreciate that. And that's one of the reasons why it took me five years to have the courage to come and visit you and to put that bottle of wine in front of you. Was there some cruddy wine? in the first year or two? No, I think it was just as you referred to it on your show, you know, LBD, learn by doing. So I would always progress and try to just continue to improve in all aspects. And there are a million decisions that go into this process. And so once again, the analogy of making a movie that every day you're making so many different decisions and you have a lot of people. I did actually count up one time that there's over a hundred people involved to put that bottle in your hand. You can't count the people who are drinking it. No. Okay. All right. (laughs) Put the bottle in your hand. All right. So you thought you were going to plant grapes, but you didn't plant grapes. You source grapes. And by the way, nothing in the world wrong with that, but you better source correctly. You don't just go buy up some grapes that somebody else doesn't want. Right. There's lots of that out there, but finding really good grapes, that's an art form. And you spent a lot of time up in Sonoma. Yes. Well, I grew up in the Bay Area, up in Marin and Sonoma County. And so... 
I know that that's the style of the wines that I like. So I really paid attention to it, took all those cues that, you know, the old saying that you can't make a good wine from bad grapes. So I knew I wanted to start with really high quality fruit. And I try to make sure that I allow the farmer to be a farmer. So I looked for who would be one of the best people to go and source from. And I was able to do that. So it's single vineyard fruit coming from it. So it's very consistent and just that big, rich Sonoma County grapes. So Yeah. And then you get grapes from other places, Santa Cruz Mountains and beyond. So you're sourcing fruit from wherever you feel like you're going to get the best fruit from. Right. And so it'll depend on the varietal. And again, we're just looking to make a really high quality product. How do you know, though? And I don't think we actually talked about this on any of the shows that we did on this subject. How did you know you were getting good fruit? Did you taste some wines that were made from that fruit before you bought the fruit? Did you just look at who the grape growers were selling their grapes to? Combination of both? Yes, combination of Ouija all, all board? Of, no, it's all of the above. I think like anything, it's it's you really want to know that people have a track record and that's what I try to do. Yeah. Okay. So the grape growers that you're buying from now, a couple of years history with them at least now? Yes. Yes. Okay. And your wines are available certainly online, right? If you can actually purchase wines from California and if you can actually ship them out, right? But uh, the other thing you could do is you could just come out to California and we'll make sure there are some of those wines here. Absolutely. I'm not kidding. This this ain't a sales pitch because you don't make enough wine for me to get rich on or you unless you up the price, which I already told you you need to do because your prices are way too low. You don't realize how good your wine is. Well, you know, uh, I'm just getting rolling here. And so I'm very humble about the whole process. And I appreciate all the great feedback that uh, you're giving me and I will take that to heart. Well, I mean, it's just that, you know, comparing your wine to average wine is like comparing, you know, the quality of a major Disney picture to, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but, you know, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And I'm actually talking about the first version of it with <laughs> Steve funny. McQueen. Remember that? Uh, I actually don't remember that one. That's not possible. <laughs> Okay. All right. So what's the long-term objective now for you? Again, it's a slow build. So I just want to make sure that we continue to have really high quality and we will continue just to build upon the success and the plan as we just move forward. And so I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy the process and talking to people and pouring the wines. And it's, it's been a really good experience. It it certainly is one of those things that, uh, thank God I did actually come from the film business where, you know, how we always joke about working half days, uh, which are 12 hours. And that was something that was pretty quick to learn here that this wine business is also very long hours that that I am up all day, all night, just doing all kinds of different things because it's it's myself and my wife. And, and when you do a small family operation like that, you have to wear all hats at all times. What's harder, making wine or making movies? Mm, boy, they are so similar. It's I honestly don't know that I could actually make What are the talents that you use in making movies that you use in making wine? 
Or do you drink a lot of wine to make a movie? Uh, I know that part of it. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but, you know, what I really loved about it is there's a creative component to the whole part of both filmmaking and winemaking. There's a technical component. There's a scientific component. So all of these things were basically skill sets I already had in my bag. And I just pulled them out when, depending on what task I'm doing. So it, it really, I learned later, it just, it was a very natural fit, but it is not an easy task and it's something that you have to be passionate about in order to do it. Would you say that one of the most important skills is patience? Absolutely. Absolutely. I threw you a softball over the plate, didn't I? No, because nothing happens quickly in the wine business and likewise in the film business, you know, sometimes we work on a movie for five years, one frame at a time. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So if somebody wanted to follow in your footsteps, would you try to talk them out of it? Or would you say there's a hundred reasons for not doing it and one good reason for doing it? And that's why I'm encouraging you to do it. Yes, that absolutely is what I would tell somebody. If they're passionate about it, uh, it doesn't matter what it is we're talking about. We're talking about wine right now, but it could be anything. And one of the things I've always loved about both my film career and now even with the wine is, uh, to be very honest, is I have never had a, an alarm clock in 30 years. I don't need one. I am up with the sun no matter what it is I'm doing. And I'm passionate about it. I was passionate about filmmaking, passionate about winemaking. And I hope everybody can find that type of project in their life that they can go and dedicate their time to. It's important. Okay. And lastly, I think if there is one thing that a person could bring to the table that would be a deal breaker for them becoming a winemaker, what do you think it would be? Whoa, good question. Well, I wanted to end with a hard question. Well, I think you... Um... <laughs> All right. Whoa, he stumped you, Superman. That's a tough question, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I I think you already brought it up. It's patience. If you're somebody that you don't have patience, don't do it. That's why I don't make wine. (laughs) But but I have the patience to drink it. Is that it? Okay. All right. So listen, you know what? Coming up next, it's going to be Sarah Schneider. She is going to be joining me. That's going to be by phone. I'm not going to tell her, but I'm going to see her in a couple of weeks because she's off on her cruise now. And I'm going to sneak a bottle of your wine to her. Awesome. See what she says. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to really make you nervous now. Okay. I'm going to bring in the best darn bottle of wine I've got along with yours and blind taste them side by side. All right. Bring it on. Okay. All right. Hey, that's going to do it for my visit with Gil Gagnon. And we're going to grab Keith Sarlos. And I've already talked to these guys too, by the way, Wes Hagen, Keith Sarlos, and one other mystery guest. We can't say it on the radio because we know it'll totally blow it, but he's a friend of yours and mine, and he doesn't know we know each other, nor does he know why you got into the wine business, nor does he even know that you got into the wine business. That will be awesome. Okay, that'll be awesome. So uh, we will do that. Gil, such a pleasure to have you out here, and thanks for spending a little time with me. We spent time beyond this show, and that was fun. It was fun getting to know Gil, and even more fun for me getting to taste wine that I inspired. You have no idea how proud I feel like a proud parent. Tonight and over the weekend, I'm going to dive into the rest of your wines, which, in addition to a silky, Sonoma Coast Chardonnay include mainly big reds from the Alexander Valley like Petite Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, and that completely off the charts red that I really couldn't get enough of at dinner last night. I got to tell you what, I was completely stunned by how good that wine is. Well, I appreciate that and and just know that uh, this has been a, a real pleasure for me to come and meet you. Can I be the godfather of your wine? Sure, absolutely. You already are. Oh wait, that's not really fair though because actually Francis Ford Coppola is the godfather of wine, is he not? Uh, 
Some people call him that. All right, ponder that. We'll be back with Sarah Schneider right after this on Grave Encounters Radio. It's time to take a quick break. So give a listen to these important messages for wine lovers. You are only a few sips away from the next chapter of today's episode of Grape Encounters. Remember, sip, don't chug. a thirst for wine knowledge, be it trivia or the latest trends, there's a website that's overflowing with content that we've created just for you. It's GrapeEncounters.com, where you'll find literally hundreds upon hundreds of stories and interviews covering almost every topic imaginable. From the world's most colorful and renowned winemakers to unforgettable wine adventures, there's something for every wine lover at GrapeEncounters.com. Go ahead, log on, uncork, pour, swirl, and sip. If you love wine, then you probably love to travel, too. And there are two places you should really visit soon. The best part is you don't even have to pack a bag or leave your house. If you're looking for adventures in wine, log on to GrapeEncounters.com. There you'll find an audio library of more than 300 stories that will take you virtually anywhere you want to go. At GrapeEncounters.com, you'll find short subjects as well as full stories. All audio can be downloaded with one click, and you'll be amazed at the broad range of subject matter. Another place you really should visit is our Facebook group page. Simply search for Grape Encounters Radio or click on the link on our website. The Grape Encounters Radio group has become a formidable place for wine lovers to exchange ideas, introduce products, and share upcoming events. If you're not already a group member, then join the party on Facebook. Grape Encounters is more than a radio broadcast. It's a family of like-minded, fun-loving, unpretentious wine lovers. Come fill up your glass today. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. She once described a wine as a dusty old trunk from the attic, and we were all glad she was doing the sipping. It's Sipping with Sarah with Sunset Magazine's Sarah Schneider on Grape Encounters Radio. When your face is pictured on the page. Grape Encounter continues, and now, two weeks in a row, we have Sarah Schneider, the wine editor of Sunset Magazine, one of the two biggest lifestyle magazines in America. And she is the people's wine editor. And Sarah, welcome to the show. We got you by phone again today. Then you're taking off for a couple of weeks, going on that cruise, and then you'll be back for good, right? I Mostly for good. It's good to be back again this week, though, even though I'm scrambling to get things done so I can go 
on this cruise, but it's a big deal for Sunset to launch a wine cruise. I'm excited that we're able to bring a lot of people on board and we're going to run special wine tastings on board. And this is going to be in the Mediterranean. We can do a lot of new world, old world comparisons. We're taking along a lot of West Coast wine and our cruisers will be able to taste on board and then go ashore and taste the old world counterpart. I'm pretty excited about this. How many passengers are coming with you? We have about 300. In what? Group. 300? Yeah. That'll yeah. sink the ship for Pete's sake. That's a, <laughs> that's a lot of passengers. How much wine are you taking? You're taking a lot of wine. Oh, gosh. Well, here's the confession. We didn't know early on how many people we'd have in our group on board, and we had to ship the wine early. This is crazy, this business. We had to ship it from California to Florida so that it could be there when the ship was in port in Florida to put the wine on so it could get to Barcelona, where we're starting off. So we had to ship extra wine just to be sure. We, we have enough wine on board for five or 600 people. We're going to have some <laughs> happy cruisers. You know, the cruise ships mostly do stock up in Florida, and it always concerns me sending wine to Florida in the summertime. You know what I mean? I, oh, I agree. I agree. You know, one miss step and somebody's going to have a big mess on their hands. It sits out in in the heat. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're pretty careful about that. Oh, wow. So 300 people are going. That's very exciting. You know, it it would seem to me that what would 301, you know, be one more person you could have taken. (laughs) But anyway, I have some room in that suitcase. I'm glad you're doing it. Hey, you know, let's start with Barcelona. Are you going to get an extra day or two in Barcelona? I hope you are. I'm going about two days early Good. To, to peek around a little bit. Barcelona is the coolest city. I love it. You know, you got to get on those open air buses. The main one that runs through Barcelona, they have two different routes. And if you get on the first route and then you get on the second route, you'll see everything you want to see in Barcelona. And just so you know, Sarah, we took a group of listeners to Barcelona before you <laughs> earlier oh, this no. summer. We did it in May, but not 300 because uh, <laughs> 300 would have been way unmanageable. And I don't know what you're going to be doing. It's going to be like herding cats, especially after they have a little bit of wine. But man, you know, you can go into any grocery store in Barcelona and buy a hot dang Tempranillo for about $3. That's mind boggling. I've had other people tell me the same thing, that right at this point with the Euro exchange, that wine in Spain is embarrassingly cheap. Yeah, yeah. So do that and have fun. All right. Well, what else is going on in the world, Sarah? What are you writing about these days? What has tickled your fancy? You said you've been off on these scouting missions. So what's got your attention? Well, it's really specific. In our October issue this year, which is really heavy on the wine and food front, which I'm very happy about, um, we're doing a big wine travel package that sort of highlights three regions. One that's a cornerstone grand tour that you everybody needs to take sometime in their life. And then something that's very much established, but maybe a little less visited, and then a real discovery for most people. So the three that we're covering are Napa Valley. We're going to start with that one. The middle tier is going to be Santa Barbara County. And wow. then the third region is going to be Southern Oregon. Southern Oregon, uh, yeah. Southern Oregon, which is underreported. The wine has gotten very, very good. In fact, even just this afternoon, I have to sit down with about two cases of wine from Southern Oregon and pick painfully, because I'm going to want to recommend so many of them, I'm sure, pick ones that will actually make it into print for, for our recommendations. But my part in that story mostly is that I took on the Napa part to write. You know, I don't always spend a lot of time in Napa Valley, so it was 
was a real treat to come back and see what the experience is like now. I mean, the crowds are still there en masse more than ever, but the wineries are changing their approach a little bit. It's gotten gotten a lot less pretentious in Napa. That's my first observation. Napa is a lot more down to earth than it's ever been before. And I'm not saying that it was ever bad. I'm just saying that, you know, Napa was, you know, for the elite in many respects, and it has become so wine consumer friendly. I agree completely. I mean, for a few years, I would hear from friends that in Napa, they felt like maybe their income didn't quite fit these bottles, or they didn't know quite enough. Well, that's true. That part's still true. (laughs) Not that the bottles are any cheaper. People people come into my wine shop, and they go, how much is a really good bottle of wine? And I'll go, oh, you know, 50 bucks. And you go into a a Napa winery and say, how much is one of your really good wines? (laughs) And it's like... I don't know, 300 bucks. <laughs> That'll get you something. <laughs> right. All um, right. I but exaggerate. They, but, but they, yeah, they honestly are creating experiences that get you to stay longer. You know, don't just belly up to the bar and taste a few and buy a few and move on out. You can settle in and stay a while with some food or, or blend your own wine or some other experience that's really going to get you inside of it. And they're all trying to one-up each other on the experiences. And of course, that yeah. competition led by the one and only Jean-Charles Boisset, whose fertile mind comes up with new ways to imagine and enjoy wine every single month, it seems like. As he said to me, we don't just make wine, we create dreams. <laughs> you wouldn't be surprised to know that he's, he's going to be in the story. Oh, no, no. He should be in every Napa story. I've never really gotten a feel for how the rest of Napa reacts and Sonoma reacts to Jean-Charles because he is so flamboyant. But from the moment you meet him, you love him. And it was funny, just yesterday I was talking about him because I was admitting that I am really not good at remembering names. But Jean-Charles can meet you one time and it doesn't matter what your stature in life is. He will remember your name the next time he sees you. And I guarantee you, if you go to one of his six 600 person plus parties, he knows the name of every person in that room. Yeah. Did you know I that? I've seen that too. Have you I, seen I've that? seen that. He's like Dustin Amazing. Hoffman in The Rain Man. <laughs> <laughs> True. That's it. We, we could do a takeoff on The Rain Man, The Wine Man. <laughs> he would love it. He would be right in the middle of he it. Would. All right, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters Radio. Sarah will be gone for just a couple of weeks, but don't pine over her. She'll be back soon enough. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.